Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Hi, welcome to CRISPR Cuts. I'm Minu. And I'm Brittany. And today we are going to talk about gene drives. This topic has been in the news a lot in the past few years. So we want to discuss today what exactly gene drives are, their applications, and how scientists are ensuring that they are used responsibly. So let's just start with what gene drives are. Brittany, how would you best describe this term that has become increasingly popular? Well, first let's briefly review how genes are inherited. Diploid organisms, like humans and a lot of other animals, have two sets of chromosomes, one from mom and one from dad. These are called homologous chromosomes and contain two copies of each gene that may be slightly different from one another. We call these alleles. But in cells that produce eggs and sperm, the homologous chromosomes get split up such that only one set gets passed on to an egg or sperm. Therefore, the chance of a particular allele getting into an egg or sperm is 50%. Gene drives are sequences of DNA that cheat the system so that they are passed to eggs and sperm with a higher probability than 50%. In this way, they can spread throughout a population faster than a gene that is inherited normally. There are several types of gene drives that do this trick in different ways. Wow, that's really interesting. So is this concept of gene drives a new thing or has it been around for a while? Well, actually there are natural gene drives that have been around for a while that scientists often refer to as selfish genetic elements. In the 1960s, the idea to use gene drives to control the spread of pests was first born. Over time, advancements in biotechnology and molecular biology methods have enabled the development of engineered gene drives. That's like the method of CRISPR, right? Yeah. Just to review, CRISPR is a popular gene editing technology and it has two main components. There's a guide RNA that recognizes specific target sequences and an enzyme, often Cas nuclease, that cuts at these target sites. So we've been hearing a lot about CRISPR and gene drives in the news. So how exactly is CRISPR used in a gene drive? CRISPR is used in a type of gene drive called a homing-based gene drive. Basically, the gene drive sequence, often called a cassette, contains the sequence for the Cas nuclease, a guide RNA, and possibly a gene that scientists want to spread throughout a population. The gene drive is introduced into the germline cells of an organism. These cells have two sets of homologous chromosomes, but will divide in a process called meiosis into eggs for females or sperm for males, such that each egg or sperm only has one set of chromosomes. So what happens in these premeiosis cells is that the gene drive on one chromosome cuts the other chromosome and pastes itself into the cut site. So now both chromosomes contain the gene drive. When the cells undergo meiosis, all of the eggs or sperm contain the gene drive instead of just half. Dr. Anna Buckman from the lab of Dr. Omar Akbari at the University of California, San Diego, has explained this quite well. So one of the kind of major types of, of drives that is being developed now in our laboratory and in other laboratories across the world is a CRISPR-Cas9-based homing drive. And the idea is if you generate a homing cassette that has a Cas9 protein and a guide RNA that targets a specific endogenous sequence in, in the genome, 
you could create a system, kind of to put it really simplistically, where this cassette copies itself into the place in the genome where it's inserted. And so elements like this homing elements that have been proposed for use as gene drives for, for a while now, since at least 2003, but having CRISPR-Cas9 makes it easier to engineer such a homing system. And so the effect of such a system is that if you get it to copy itself into it's kind of the locus that it's in in the genome, it basically converts heterozygotes into homozygous in the germline. And so you're cheating regular inheritance that way. You know, if you're a heterozygote normally, then only 50% of your offspring will inherit, you know, whatever gene version. But if you have a CRISPR-Cas9 homing cassette now that converts all heterozygotes into homozygotes in the germline, then instead of 50% of progeny inheriting, you know, this homing cassette, 100% do. And so it's, it's pretty simple to think about the implications of that, you know, suddenly you're kind of cheating evolution and bypassing Mendelian inheritance and making sure that every offspring of yours inherits this cassette. You could see how that would spread or drive through a population. And so that's how we use and other people use CRISPR-Cas9 to build lead drives in mosquitoes, or at least that's one of the ways. I see. That's clever. So basically, the way this could be applied to reduce a mosquito population to curb incidences of diseases like malaria and Zika is simply by engineering a gene drive causing sterility. By copying itself on both chromosomes, this genetic element will spread much more rapidly than usual and this way the entire population could eventually become sterile and effectively be wiped out over time, right? Yeah. In fact, there was a study published this past September by a group from the Imperial College of London that tested a CRISPR-based gene drive in a population of captive mosquitoes. The drive was used to sterilize females and it ended up spreading really fast and led to a complete collapse of the mosquito population. Right. I read that study. But this was in a caged environment and not released in the wild, right? I believe that researchers are really cautious before playing around with the ecosystem. That's right. Once a gene drive is released into an ecosystem, there may be unintended consequences. So scientists working on gene drives have to conduct their research responsibly. That's right. In fact, Dr. Kevin Esbelt at MIT, who was one of the first researchers to realize that CRISPR could be used in gene drives, had some really interesting thoughts on this issue. I realized that you could make CRISPR genome editing heritable just by encoding the nuclease and instructions thereof, and I immediately realized that this would create a gene drive. Huh, CRISPR is going to let us do this for almost any gene in any organism. Huh, that's neat. We can end malaria. And then the next day I woke up in a panic thinking about all the different ways that it could be misused. And my sense of personal moral responsibility for everything that comes of that technology is the reason why I am still deeply involved in it now. Because it's one of those wherein the major barriers to beneficial use are primarily social and institutional and not technical. It's impressive that Dr. Asfeld has been a pioneer in highlighting the need for working with gene drives and genetically altered organisms with responsibility. In fact, he has made headlines recently with his Mice Against Ticks project. This project aims to reduce Lyme disease on the islands of Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard on the East Coast. On both islands, Lyme disease is a big problem. The disease is carried by native white-footed mice and transmitted by ticks. 
The plan of the project is to not use a gene drive exactly, but rather to use CRISPR to genetically alter the mice so that they are immune to Lyme disease, and then to release the mice on the islands. As the altered mice breed with wild mice, the genetic alteration would spread naturally on each island, and hence eventually make most mice immune to Lyme disease. With fewer mice carriers of the disease, fewer people will become infected. What is notable about this project is that Kevin Asphalt has involved the island communities at every step. No science happens without their approval, and the project can stop at any time. Dr. Esfeld firmly believes that science involving releasing genetically altered animals should be fully transparent and with the approval of the local people. Let's listen to his own words. Scientists are used to focusing entirely on technical barriers, but this is so interwoven with public perception of science and technology and the trustworthiness of scientists. And it's also morally quite different from developing a new therapeutic compound in the lab. And that's because if you develop a new drug, then your doctor might prescribe it to you, but you can always say no. You can always opt out of the effects. But if you're developing something intended to alter the shared environment, then people will not be able to opt out. And that means that if you develop it in the traditional manner, closeted approach, not telling anybody what you're doing until you're done, that means you're denying people a voice in decisions that you intend to affect them that they won't be able to opt out of. Wow, that's really an interesting approach to include the public in the decision process of using genetically altered animals. It's great to hear that researchers are approaching this subject with a great deal of caution and that they understand potential risks to altering ecosystems. In fact, I heard that researchers are also working towards modifying gene drives so that they can control or even reverse their spread. Anyway, that's it for this edition of CRISPR Cuts. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and learned something new about the use of gene drives and genetically altered organisms to help solve some really pressing problems. Tune in next time and send us your feedback at crispercuts at synthego.com. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthego blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.